Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our second last in our series called Unshakable Joy. Next week, we're going to have our last session in this, and really most of it's going to be a discussion between Ali and I talking about some of the learning and some of the things we've taken away from this incredible and timely book. But today, I'm just actually going to look at about three or four verses, a really short passage from the fourth and final chapter of Philippians. But before I get into that, I want to set a bit of context for it by telling you a bit about the team that I worked with while we lived in Abu Dhabi. So the picture of the team is going to come up on the screen there. And you'll see in that picture, there's actually two extra people, but five people are on the team. One of them is the Canadian guy, me, Paul, just to one side of the center. And I have strong opinions and I know what I like and I like to tell you what I like. But I also love people and I love working with people and I care about people. On the other side of the center is Jim, the Indian guy, who is the epitome of an amazing, humble servant, the guy who will do anything for you, but doesn't like to take a lead and doesn't like to take initiative, just wants to, wants to be told what to do, and he will do it amazingly. Beside Jim is Jill, the English girl, who is quite strong ADHD, she'd tell you that. Very intelligent, very creative, very strong-minded but also has quite broad, quite liberal views on a lot of things in life and even the Bible. And then on the other side of them, we have a Venezuelan couple, Odie and Lily, an amazing couple who are kind and caring and 100% relational. But Odie is also very black and white and conservative in his thinking and, and sometimes gets very stuck in that. And then his wife, Lily, who's creative and smart and, and um, gets sometimes stuck between Odie's opinion and other people's opinion. And, and I often think explaining my team to people is kind of like building people up to the punchline of a joke, you know? You have all these people sitting in a room and... But the reality is, on this team, we have four continents represented. We have four cultures represented. And actually five quite distinct faith backgrounds coming together for some amazing and beautiful teamwork. But also, as you can imagine, some potential for real conflict. And the reality is we did some great things together. I'm so proud and, and thankful for some of the things we did together. We saw young people and youth leaders come together from churches from all across the UAE. And we were able to play a part in a hundred young people giving their lives to Jesus. But we also saw a bit of conflict over those three and a half years. We had conflict over how we did programs. We did, had conflict about Bible passages. We had, even had conflict about how we do our meetings. From Jill, the English girl who's impatient, smart, likes to make quick decisions and get the meeting over with, to Odie and Lily and Jim who are from warm cultures and want us to take more time. There can't be enough time sitting and eating and talking with one another. The reality is that this team was was almost like a case study for diversity and the potential for interpersonal conflict. And it was obvious on a team like that. But the reality is that with any group of people, there are significant differences. There's background differences. 
There are family dynamic differences. There are different experiences, different amounts of knowledge on any given subject. There's likes and dislikes. And all of these things inevitably, inevitably bring different perspectives and inevitably or potentially lead to conflict in any group of people. And we have to be honest, we've had conflict in the past in this group of people and in this church. We're honest about that. And many of us have probably had conflict in the last week. I often know we're not getting out and going to church in the morning anymore, but quite often even on the way to church in the very morning, maybe some of us have had conflict this morning. And in the midst of the last two months, three months, with all that's happened, with all the changes, with all the new pressures, with all the uncertainties, we are in a time where conflict is just waiting and ready to happen. So in the midst of this season, in the midst of all that's going on, I think it's really timely and really important that conflict comes up in the book of Philippians. And remember, Philippians is not one of those letters to one of those crazy churches. This isn't like Paul's letter to 1 Corinthians. I mean, the Corinthians had so many problems and Paul dealt with this issue and that issue and the other issue with them. But, but that's not... The Philippians. The Philippians were like the poster child church that you'd want to tell anyone about. Paul says some incredible things about the Philippians. Listen to this. In chapter 1, verses, in verses 3 to 8, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He goes on to say, being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. All of you share in God's grace with me. And then he goes on to say this, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Wow. That is a lot of respect. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, or, or can you imagine any church leader or anyone saying those types of stuff, those types of things about, about Grace Fellowship? That would be beautiful and powerful. And yet, as Paul comes to the close of this letter, we realize that they're not a perfect church. Paul says these things in the final chapter, in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Sintiche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they've contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. So, so as we read this, we need to remember that, that, again, this is not a problem church. This church has been standing strong under persecution, as we've heard in the rest of the letter. And they've even been helping Paul and supporting him while he's been persecuted, while he's been in prison. This is like the church you want to tell everyone about, you want to tell everyone to go to. And these women, 
I probably got their names wrong said, but Yodia and Sintiche, they're not troublemakers in Paul's life. And they're not two immature Christians. They're two people who have, who have played a key role in expanding the gospel and building up the church. Paul says, they've contended at my side for the cause of the gospel. And there are obviously two women that have played a significant role in the church of Philippi, or Paul wouldn't be using the end of this letter to address them in particular. So we have a strong and healthy church. We have two um, mature Christian women who have been contending with Paul for the gospel. And yet we have conflict. And I think that this is really important for us to highlight. And it's really important to encourage us that no church is perfect. And so we shouldn't expect to be. In fact, when it comes to conflict, I think we should expect it to be part of existence and part of the church. Here are two brilliant quotes. Jean Baker Miller said this, Conflict is inevitable. In fact, she goes on to say, It's the source of all growth and an absolute necessity if one is to be alive. Wow. And then Max Lucado says this, conflict is inevitable, combat is optional. Conflict is inevitable. And yet in this passage, Paul pleads with Iodia and Sintiche to resolve the conflict and to be in one mind in the Lord. And that's all we get about conflict in this passage. We don't get whose fault it was. We don't get who started it. We don't get anything about what the issue was. Just the reality that a, a healthy church with passionate Christians who are contending for the gospel still manage to find themselves in conflict. And Paul calls them to be of the same mind. And I think this is really important for us to hear as a church so that we don't freak out when there's conflict in our church. It's inevitable, even when there's conflict in leadership. But I also think it's timely for, for this space and this time and this season, when our families or people are cooped up in, in homes all the time, when our workplaces are changing and everything is more stressed, when our environments are full of uncertainties, when everyone's tired of looking at screens, it's in times like this when stress is on and pressure is on that conflict is able to and ready to, and combat is ready to bubble up to the surface. And I think we're seeing that in the news right now as the Black Lives Matter protests escalate into violence. Conflict is bubbling up as people are under stress. But even before what's on the news, I'm sure many of us have faced conflict lately. But how we deal with conflict now, especially now, could speak volumes about who we are in Christ, about the reality of the good news of Jesus, 
and about the reality of the Holy Spirit in us. So what do we do when conflict arises? What do we do to make sure it doesn't bubble up and over into combat in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities, and in our church? Well, the reality is that this passage doesn't give us many answers to that, other than I'm going to go to one more verse that gives us a bit of something at the end, but, but it doesn't give us much of the answers to this. So what I want to do today is I want to take us to a TED Talk, and it's by a girl named Megan Phelps Roper, and it's called I Grew Up in Westboro Baptist Church, Here's Why I Left. So Westboro Baptist Church, for those of you who don't know, who haven't seen the Louis Threw documentary or, or they were on the news many years ago, is basically a church in the United States that pickets things like funerals and sporting events, holding up signs and shouting at people, telling them how evil they are and how much God hates them. And as you can imagine, then, this church is a group of people, whatever intention, that thrives on conflict and even on combat. And this TED Talk is basically just the story of Megan's learning how to deal with conflict in a better way that helps her walk out of and leave this toxic environment. And in this talk, she outlines four steps, four ways of moving from conflict to conversation, to life-giving relationship. And I think there's a lot of biblical value and content in these four steps, these four ways. So the four steps are this. Number one, don't assume bad intent. Number two, ask questions. Number three, stay calm. And number four, make the argument. And I'm gonna add one more at the end of this, but I, I wanna start with the first one. Don't assume bad intent. But we so often do this, don't we? We assume bad intentions. We assume that when we're in conflict, the other person's just being selfish or trying to control a situation or trying to manipulate, trying to get what they want and not what you want. And whether that's partly true or not, I guarantee that the huge majority of the time, both people, you and the other person in a conflict situation, have genuinely justifiable or good reasons, at least in your head, for your side of the conflict. Think about, think about the last time you were in an argument, you were in a, a bust up, hopefully not physically, you were in a non-physical combat, a conflict. What was going through your mind? Were you trying to be rude? Were you trying to be selfish? Were you trying to be hurtful? I hope not, but I almost guarantee you weren't. I almost guarantee you had good intentions in your head. You had a good reason why you were trying to tell the other person what was right. So if that's true for you, is it probably true for most of the people we've ever had conflict with, that at least in their own head, they have good intention for what they're doing. 
There's actually a great example of this in the Bible. It's in Galatians and in Acts chapter 15 when Peter and Paul butted heads. And they butted heads over what to do with Jews or, or Greeks who were coming to faith. And in Galatians 2, it says that Paul opposed Peter face to face because he stood condemned. Like that's strong. You stand condemned. And then in Acts chapter 15, it says they entered into sharp, they entered into sharp dispute and debate. So that's conflict. That's getting close to, to combat. But, but what caused this? Well, I think good intentions on both sides. Paul was trying to stand up for the truth of God's new amazing story of grace. And he didn't, didn't want to put the burden of the old law on the Gentiles who were coming to faith rightly. And Peter was proved to be wrong in the end, but he probably had good intentions. He was probably trying to stand up for the Jews who were now confused. But, you know, why do they get to let go of the law and we don't? What should we do with this as we're coming to faith? How do we deal with all this stuff? Paul, Peter was probably trying to care for them and, and Paul was trying to care for the Gentiles. Whenever an issue comes up, even if one of us is wrong and sometimes both of us are partly wrong, we often both have good intentions. We're both trying to protect. We're both trying to speak truth. We're both looking out for the best, even though we sometimes do it in a wrong way. So can we assume good intent, even if we think the other person is wrong? Don't assume bad intent. I think that's such a, a helpful starting point and it will set us up for such a better footing for conversation and conflict. The next one is ask questions. Number two, ask questions. And what Megan says is map the disconnect between us. It's incredibly hard to have a, a helpful discussion when we don't understand each other's starting points. In Acts 15, we get this amazing picture of Paul and, and a series of debates he has in Athens with Greeks and Jews. And it says that before these debates happened, Paul spent time just walking through the city, looking at sites and the markets and in different places, probably talking to people. And it said reading inscriptions on their statues and on their temples so that he could understand what they believed and so he could understand how to connect with them where they were at. It's an incredible example for us. It's so important for us to understand each other's starting points because if we don't know where each other's starting, we, we could be speaking things that are completely irrelevant to other people, that are completely irrelevant to their questions or their concerns for us. Have you, have you ever had an argument where it's already gotten heated, it's blowing up, you guys, you're like in the middle of it before you realize that you're actually saying the exact same thing. You're actually arguing the exact same point. Or, or worse, maybe, you actually realize you're arguing about two different circumstances. Oh, I thought you were talking about that, but, but I thought you were talking about that. And it's like, what were we, what are we arguing about? Ask questions. And there's a million types of questions you ask, you, we could ask. What is it about this situation or that, that that you don't understand or that you have questions about? What what do you understand about what I said? 
or what is the situation? Explain to me the situation that you're talking about so that I can understand it better. This is so important for conflict. But the reality is this also is important for sharing our faith in Jesus. Asking questions is such an important tool for understanding how to speak into each other's lives. And this is what I love about the model of Alpha. Alpha is not about answering the questions we want to give you. Well, it's also about that, but it's mainly about giving you a chance to ask the questions that are important to you. Stephen Covey has this great quote, and he says this, Seek first to understand and then to be understood. I constantly need to work on this. And this needs to be our, our mantra almost for conflict, but also for sharing our faith in Jesus. Ask questions and seek to understand. And then the third point Megan makes is stay calm. I think I'm pretty good at this in a one-on-one -on -one situation. I can stay calm. But for whatever reason, I admit I'm not as good at it in a group situation. And I don't know if that's because then I'm, I'm, I care more what you say and how that affects that person or vice versa. And I'm worried about the group dynamics. So my emotions get high. I don't know. But it's something I need to work on in a group situation. But I really appreciate how Fiona deals with this in conflict. And of course, we have conflict in our marriage. But Fiona always would say, stop, let, let's not talk about this now. Let, let's talk about it when we're both calm. Because she realizes that, it, that it's much more important to have a good conversation later than to have an explosive conversation now. Conflict will very rarely be resolved when emotions are high. So either we need to stay calm or we need to exit the situation till we can be calm and have a good, healthy conversation. Stay calm, point number three. And point number four is make the argument. And the thing, the tagline to that is don't assume the other person understands your perspective. And this is so important <laughs> because our default position is that my understanding or my perspective on this is the perspective that almost everyone holds, right? And, and, and if you don't hold mine, then you're obviously not thinking straight or deranged or something. But that's not reality. We all have different perspectives. And this may sound overly simple, but clearly and, and calmly articulating your argument, your side of the story, actually helps the other person to understand you. But there's another side to it, because articulating the argument out loud sometimes also reveals the inconsistencies of it to ourselves. And that can be really helpful to resolving conflict as well. Make the argument articulated for the other person and for yourself. But this is also a really important thing to remember when it, when it comes to sharing our faith. We actually need to explain what we believe. 
because a lot of people just don't know and don't understand. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be willing to give a reason. Be ready and willing to tell your story, to actually tell about your experience and how God revealed to you his reality, his power, and his truth. Make the argument. It's, this seems so simple, but articulate what you think or articulate what you believe. Because the reality is that the people around you or the person you're having the conversation with probably doesn't understand. Make the argument. Don't assume bad intent. Ask questions. Stay calm and make the argument. Four brilliant points. But I think this needs a fifth point that is like the icing on the cake and possibly the most important point in this. Say sorry when you have spoken or acted harshly. Be willing to say sorry. I am sorry and please forgive me are such powerful words, both emotionally and spiritually. I think there's almost nothing more disarming in a conflict situation than a, than a genuine, unqualified apology. I am so sorry. I was wrong. My attitude, my words, my tone, my lack of appreciation of your understanding, I'm so sorry for that. There's almost nothing more powerful than that. And, and I guarantee if you are in a conflict situation or if, it, if it's risen to combat, then there is almost always something that you could genuinely apologize for. But saying sorry is also fundamental to new life in Christ. Forgiveness is fundamental. And for us, modeling humility and modeling a need for forgiveness is something that our world desperately needs to see so that they can recognize it in themselves. Both their need for forgiveness for and from one another, but also their need for forgiveness from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. James 5 Verse 16 says this, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's power in confession. And 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. <laughs> 